When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Blush. I'm your host, Tiva, and... I have quite literally never been less equipped to do this podcast than I am today. Like I woke up with my tummy so distended that I look like I'm six months pregnant. I don't know if I'm getting my period and also something that happens to me. I know like everyone else on the face of the fucking planet when they're like about to get their periods has diarrhea or diarrhea-like experiences. I'm the exact opposite. When I'm about to get my period, not only am I like bloated from, you know, hormonal stuff, but I also get like more constipated. So I wake up, my tummy's like fully distended. I can't poop. I always make my nettle infusion and I have a full gallon of it, right? So I just like keep drinking more and more fluids. I'm like, it'll come out, it'll come out, it'll come out. I consumed the entire gallon by 11 a.m. Nothing is coming out. My face is so swollen that it's like hard for me to talk. If you're watching this on video, what an unpleasant experience. I'm so sorry that you have to watch this like marshmallow talk about health and wellness today. And like literally it's hard to talk. Because my face is so swollen. Did I just say that? Did I just say how hard it is to talk? Because my face is so fucking swollen. All right, let's get this fucking show on the road. <laughs> I'm so sorry, guys. This is this is a fucking experience. What can I say? Um, okay. Uh, one update, I've entirely given up on finding mob dentist and I found someone else who does the type of work that she does that my insurance takes and I've started to see him. He seems like a nice man. I don't know. Um, so that's cool. I've not eaten any of my teeth or any of my other body parts since we last spoke. So that's cool for me, I guess. I don't know. Or just kind of the norm for anyone else, right? That's just kind of standard procedure. Um, okay. I want this to be the last thing I ever say about Scandaval and Vanderbilt rules, etc. But, you know, the reason I talk about it isn't so much because I have like Vanderpump rules fanatics that are, you know, listening to this podcast. No. In fact, I think the vast majority of the audience doesn't even watch any Bravo. So it's not, I mean, the first time I talked about it was because I know that the majority of the audience doesn't watch Bravo. And so I was like, okay, like you're probably seeing it everywhere because again, I have one friend, by the way, one friend who's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I never saw this talked about ever. Every single other person I've encountered is like, what the fuck is going on? Because it's it was on CNN, guys. Like it was on CNN. 
<laughs> so <laughs> the reason I brought it up the first time around was like in part to be like, okay, if you don't watch the show, which I know a lot of this audience doesn't, you're probably wondering to yourself, like, what the fuck is going on? Why is all of the news dominated with this? So I was just trying to tell you what's going on so you're a little bit aware. But the other reason I talk about it and the reason I really talk about any television at all is because I find it to be a really useful tool for having conversations about other things. So it's not like I keep talking about Vanderpump Rules because I want to turn this into like a Bravo recap podcast or anything like that. I keep talking about Vanderpump Rules because... I think it's an interesting jumping off point to have other types of conversations, right? But I think it's run its course. Nevertheless, I am going to talk about it again because on Monday, Tom Sandoval, the person who was having the affair, was on Howie Mandel's show. And it was kind of like this awful interview. But there was one thing that really stuck out to me. Like basically, he was trying to, I think what he was hoping to do, his goal with doing the interview was to not make excuses, but give his side of what happened, his perspective, yada, yada, and garner a bit of like sympathy and compassion from people, right? I think it fully backfired, but that's neither here nor there. But one thing he said was that he had been trying to break up with Ariana. So it's not, you know, like basically he's kind of using that as an excuse for cheating where he's like, you know, I after Raquel and I kissed, you know, I put myself in therapy. I asked to do couples therapy with Ariana. My plan was to break up with her in therapy, like basically how he was having such a hard time, like ending the relationship and that maybe she was, you know, threatening, um, you know, unaliving herself, things like that. Um, if the relationship were to end, which we're not even going to go into, it did make me feel very icky that he was disclosing those types of details. But this is what I want to talk about. He obviously was feeling some kind of way about the relationship. Primarily, he was feeling that he wanted the relationship to end and that he didn't know how to make that happen, but whatever. But he was having feelings about the relationship and not having a good venue to communicate those. Now, by the way, for anyone like listening or watching who, you know, is familiar with Vanderpump Rules, I'm not making excuses for Tom at all. I'm just observing the situation and finding ways that we can learn from it, which is my entire experience with watching television or like consuming any sort of media in general. What I think is interesting is like, what can we learn from these people? What can we learn from these situations? What can we learn from these experiences, right? That's the whole fucking point. By the way, I think I even sound swollen. Like, <laughs> Like, I'm so puffy and so swollen that I can hear it in my own voice. Like, absolute misery. I'm in absolute fucking misery, but I'm a consummate professional. I, you know, you'll never find a harder working bitch. That's untrue. You'll find many harder working bitches. But as far as commitment to this podcast goes... I don't think you're going to find anyone more committed to anything than I am to this goddamn show. And that's why I'm here and not on my fucking deathbed, which is where I feel like I should be. And before you're like, oh, you're just a little bit bloated, whatever. I'm telling you, I can feel it in every cell in my body. Like it it feels difficult to not be in bed right now. And I had to spend like a full hour in bed because I was so nauseous because I think like everything is pressed. Okay, whatever. But that's the whole point of what we're doing, right? And so like the other night I was like to Ozzy, um, who by the way is still away. We're not physically together, but I was like, hey, you're good, right? Like we're good, right? Like things are good in the relationship. And he's like, yeah, totally. Why? And I was like, just checking in, just want to give you the venue, just want to give you the opportunity to voice something if things aren't good in any sort of way. So I just want to kind of um, 
use this to say if you are in a long-term relationship, I think it's so healthy and so functional to just check in once in a while and be like, hey, how are things going? Like, how are things going for you? Like, is there anything that I'm doing that's making you feel any kind of way? Is there anything that I used to do that I stopped doing that you would like me to start doing again? You know, I think these are just great questions to open up dialogue about the status and the health of your relationship. And I don't think it's like needy or, um, insecure to like check in once in a while with your partner and just be like, hey, is everything still good? Like I sometimes do it out of like a desire for reassurance, but I don't think that's a needy thing at all. Like I think that's totally healthy. And also, I mean, I have to say like this whole situation you know, if you're a Bravo watcher, you know, it's kind of like shaking the core. It's kind of shaking the foundation. It's like shit. Cause like he talked on the interview about how, how blatant and open he was being about this affair, how much time he was spending with Raquel, how the mistress and how little time he was spending within the relationship. And he's like, you know, it was almost this like open secret and like how did she not notice like we're so disconnected that she didn't even notice and it's like or was she just so trusting like are you saying that she shouldn't have been trusting you because that's the message that I'm hearing and then it's easy to internalize that and be like okay should I not be trusting my partner similarly like is it like am I being way too trusting you know it's like it's very easy to get these ruminating thoughts which, you know, is kind of the downside. But I guess the point that I'm trying to make, it's so hard to know the point I'm trying to make because my entire fucking body is inflamed. But um, but no, I, I guess the point that I'm trying to make is like, it's okay. And it's actually, I think, quite healthy to be checking in with your partner from time to time and just be like, hey, like, is everything good? Right. And speaking of kind of like more long-term relationships, Um, I've heard this so many times and I just want to kind of like talk about it, but there are four communication patterns that statistically are shown to lead to divorce. And those four patterns are stonewalling, contempt, criticism, and defensiveness. So we're going to talk about each of them in turn for like a second or two. I'm not going to spend longer because I'm in absolute agony and so I'm not going to be drying out. This might be our shortest episode yet. That is my goal. Um, but we'll see. Because also I might pee my pants because I've had over a gallon of fluids and it's like barely in the afternoon right now. Okay, so stonewalling is when you are essentially like ignoring someone, like not really responding. So if you are the person who's doing the stonewalling, what's likely to be happening is that you're just overwhelmed and don't know how to respond. So if you are the person who's doing the stonewalling, my advice for this is to just take some deep breaths. If you are the person who's being stonewalled, then try this. Switch to a less combative tone and like kind of like relax and give them space so that they can soothe themselves and calm down. But once things are calmer, you do want to call out the fact that they're doing some stonewalling. The second communication pattern that tends to lead to divorce is contempt. So examples of contempt are eye rolling, belittling, and mocking. So if you are the person who's doing the contempt, (laughs) sorry, I know there's a siren. I would imagine you can hear it. I don't know. Um, But if you're the person who's doing the contempt, communicate like what, how you're feeling. Communicate like, what is going on that's making you behave in this way? Because if you're like eye rolling, belittling or mocking someone, there's something going on that's making you feel some kind of way. So instead of those types of behaviors, just communicate how you're feeling. And if you're the person who's receiving contempt, 
communicate how it's making you feel. But really important here is give very clear examples because someone who is like giving you contempt is often not aware of it. Like I see this a lot with people who eye roll. They don't even know that they're rolling their eyes. They're not even aware. And keep in mind, like these are kind of like low communication methods. What do I mean by low? It's like, it's not like elite. It's not, um, (laughs) it's not, um, super self-aware, right? Like someone who's like communicating in these four ways is usually not someone who's like done a ton of work on themselves and is not like super aware of their patterning. So if you're like, hey, I'm receiving a lot of contempt from you, they're going to be like, no, you're not. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, blah, blah, that's not happening. So you're going to have to be very specific and be like, you know, when this happened, you started rolling your eyes and that made me feel X, Y, and Z. So be very specific when you're calling it out. The third communication pattern that tends to lead to divorce is criticism. So with criticism, my number one tip always is instead of viewing it as you versus them on this specific issue, instead you should view it as you and them versus the issue. So let's say like the thing that you want to criticize is the fact that they never help you with the dishes, right? So you would think of this as like, okay, like I am upset, like they're never doing the dishes, like I'm always doing the dishes, it's so exhausting, blah, 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 I wish they'd pitch in more, and you go in guns blazing with all this evidence, you never fucking do the dishes, I'm out here just like doing dishes left, right, and center, and you're never helping, yada, yada, I have all this evidence, I have all these receipts, Instead, it's like you and your partner versus the dishes. And so you just want to be like, okay, like these are the dishes. We need to get them done (laughs) between the two of us. I feel like I have an unfair burden, like an yeah, an unfair burden falls on me to get these fucking dishes done. Like where can you pitch in? Anyway, I'm not feeling well enough to go into this in like super detail. God, should I not even, should I just stop recording this episode? Because this is a really good episode and I don't want to like do it a disservice. Like there was, God, there was this episode recently I did, right, where I was unwell and I was like, I was just having the worst headache. And then like, I don't know what, like, I don't know if it was a migraine. I don't know what the situation was, but I quite literally couldn't even see out of one eye. Um, and it it's the worst episode of the podcast because my energy wasn't there. Like I wasn't bringing it. Should I, should I stop recording now and just, I don't, I don't fucking know, try this again later or try this. No, we're just going to push through. I think it'll be time. It'll be fine. But yeah, it's, oh God. Okay. Um, And the last communication pattern that leads to divorce is defensiveness. Here's what I have to say about defensiveness. I think criticism and defensiveness go hand in hand. So if you are receiving defensiveness, check to see if you're being critical. And if you are being defensive, check to see if the other party is being critical. Now, here's what's always going to help. Take accountability. Apologize that you made someone feel some kind of way. Not if you did. So not that whole like, oh, I'm so sorry that, you know, if you feel upset or I'm so sorry that like, you know, you're taking offense at this. No, no, no. It's I'm so sorry that I made you feel upset. And then you can offer background as to why you did. So it's not like I'm sorry, but it's I'm sorry that I made you feel upset, full stop, end of sentence. Take a little beat, and then you can say, 
I would like to offer some kind of context as to why I did this. It's not an excuse. I'm not excusing my behavior, and I'm certainly not excusing the fact that you are upset as the result of my actions. But I do want to offer some context so that we can avoid this in the future. Boom. Look how, like, look how amazing that is. And I have a really good example of this, actually. So over the summer, Ozzy and I had a fight. Um, if it's your first time listening, Ozzy is my partner. We call him Ozzy. That's not his name. It's a nickname. He is Australian. Okay, now that we've gotten that out of the way. Also, if it's your first time listening, I usually am not a puffer fish, which is what I literally feel like right now. Okay, so over the summer, I was upset because what was the context of this? I can't even remember really. Oh, okay. So I'm sure it was like a lot of little things, but the kind of final straw for me was one day he like took the trash out and then he put a new garbage bag into the garbage and he's like, hey, we're about to be out of garbage bags, implying like buy more, right? And I was like, okay, like if we're about to be out of garbage bags, motherfucker, why don't you buy more garbage bags? Why are you telling me to buy the garbage bags? What Like it's my automatic duty to be buying more fucking garbage bags, right? And so it set off this whole thing and I got like really upset and I like brought it up and he's like, I'm so sorry. Like my intention was never to upset you, like blah, 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 blah. Um, and you know, he fully took ownership, like apologized, um, in no way made excuses. And then after he apologized and I calmed down, he was like, can I explain myself? And I was like, yeah, of course. And he's like, the reason I told you that we're about to be out of garbage bags rather than just going to buy our garbage bags is because I assumed that you have like a subscription set up for garbage bags because you have a subscription set up for so many other things in this house. Keep in mind, he moved in with me. Like I already lived here. So like a lot of the household was already set up. So he's like, it's not that I don't want to like contribute to the household or anything like that. I just assumed the garbage bags were already coming. So like, I just wanted to tell you like maybe, you know, paying the subscription to come sooner, yada, yada. So that's like a really good example of how you can actually explain yourself without getting defensive. Okay, we're just going to move right along. We're just going to transition. Um, like I said, this might be our shortest episode yet um, because a bitch does not fucking feel well. So if you listen to last week's episode, you will know that I talked about the five habits that will the world that transformed my life from the lowest point I ever was into the best point I ever was today, notwithstanding, because I quite literally feel like, you know, um, a cross between the Pillsbury Doughboy and the Michelin Man. Like, I feel like I feel like I'm inflated and I'm going to explode at any second. And I mean that emotionally, physically and every fucking way humanly imaginable. Um, anyway, so last week I only got to the first two prongs that helped me transform my life. And today we're going to cover the last three. I do want to give like just a quick overview of what I talked about. So like four years ago, I was like borderline jobless. I was transitioning out of law. I was single and I was desperate for a fucking partner. I didn't really have a lot of close friendships. I mean, I had some of my lifelong friends, but I was newly living in New York. I certainly didn't have a community or friends here. And some of the people that like were closest in my life at the time were friendships and relationships that like really were not serving me like on a deep level. I mean, like they were there, they existed, but like they didn't actually like feed my soul, you know? I was having a lot of breakdowns, like any little thing could set me off and like fully trigger me into a full meltdown. I was having a lot of like suicidal thoughts. 
I felt a profound sense of like loneliness and disconnection from the world. And I was really disconnected like from my day-to-day life. I spent a lot of time fantasizing about my ideal life. Fast forward to today. Well, let's say fast forward to yesterday because the bitch is unwell today. <laughs> but as of yesterday, you know, I, I'm happy. I'm genuinely happy. I genuinely feel a sense of fulfillment and purpose in this life. I am in a relationship that is so uh, nurturing on every fucking level. I live in a stunning apartment, the type of apartment that I would like daydream about when I first moved to New York, but like certainly couldn't afford. And I now live here with my my dream partner, you know, like the person who is really truly an embodiment of everything that I've always like pictured and daydreamed and fantasized about in a partner. I laugh more than I ever have. I never feel like my emotions take over, even though I'm being an absolute cunt right now. Like it's not, you know, I'm not letting my emotions run the show when something goes wrong. I don't have like a full breakdown. I have friends that I'm, so obsessed with. Like you guys know who you are. If you're listening, if you're watching, only a handful of my friends, I think, actually tune into the podcast. But the ones that do love you guys and, you know, the ones that don't totally get it. And energetically, I'm sending you that love. I spend my days doing things that I love that align with who I am. And like literally, quite literally, I feel like I'm living out my fantasies from four years ago. And I want to tell you how I got here. So last week I talked about like the first two pillars of the five, right? The first one being inner child work and the second one being radical self-honesty. So I do want to kind of give a bit of an overview or like examples, I would say, of both of those pillars. And if you did not listen to last week's episode, please go check it out because I'm not going to like recap everything. So go check it out to hear it in more detail. But I do want to kind of give some examples. So with inner child work, I think a lot of us like understand logically what inner child work means. And we understand logically what trauma means. But I think part of the problem is that we have this notion in our head that trauma has to be kind of bigger things, right? So I wanted to give some examples of like traumatic things from my life that I've worked through. And some of them are bigger things, right? Some examples of that are like the way my parents would fight when I was growing up. It was like very dramatic. It was very difficult. It was very traumatic, Um, I have a number of memories from my childhood where my dad would throw things, including like his teacup. He would like throw food around. He would throw plates. He would throw glasses. Things would break, et cetera, that I would argue is like bigger trauma. Um, You know, growing up, I witnessed a lot of domestic violence. That's bigger T trauma. Um. Another thing is, you know, when I was pretty young in my teenage years, I dated a much older guy. Um, That's kind of like a bigger type of trauma. Even something I talked about last week when I hooked up for the first time with my ex-boyfriend and he like looked at my body and like, like seemed very disapproving of the way my vulva looks, right? That's like a bigger type of trauma, I would argue, versus the type of trauma. So like I experienced this a lot. People who were like, oh, but like my childhood was so great. Why am I so fucked up? Okay, maybe you didn't experience those types of traumatic events, right? That are kind of like bigger ones. And I'm not even like talking about like 
the big, big ones, which are like more severe forms of abuse and like a massive like car accident or like a parent leaving, a parent actually abandoning you, a parent dying, things like that. Like those are the big, big types of trauma. Like my types of trauma are like a lot more minor than that. But then there's like the day-to-day innocuous type of trauma that does sit with you, that does affect you, and that you do have to work through. So um, I have a couple of examples of that. One, um, (laughs) there was this one time in like the first grade or so where we would play this game where essentially like the person who's like it or whatever would leave the room and the other people who you know, we're in the class, (laughs) would come up with like a profession for the person who had left the room. And then the person who leaves the room comes back and they start playing like kind of like 20 questions and they're like, oh, are you good at this? Are you good at that? Or like, are you interested in this or whatever to see if you're a good fit for the profession that they came up with? Does that make sense? Am I explaining this well? Um, I'm going to blame all of my problems today on (laughs) the pufferfish syndrome that I have going on. But does that make sense? So like, for example, Sally is in your class. Sally might leave the room and you guys are like, ooh, I think Sally might make a good florist, right? And so Sally doesn't know the profession that you came up with. Sally comes back in the room and you might be like, do you like flowers, Do you have allergies? Do you like colors? Are you good at, I am learning that I don't know a lot about what it takes to be a florist. Are you good at color theory? Um, Do you like putting things together? Yada, yada. And based on Sally's answer, Sally, again, doesn't know what the profession that everyone else has in mind for her. She's just answering the questions, hopefully truthfully. And then at the end of the questions, you might be like, Sally would be a good florist or Sally would not be a good florist. I don't know, something to that effect, right? So at the time, I'm in the first grade, I believe, I wanted to be a doctor. Why did I want to be a doctor? Because my dad was like, that's a good profession. And so, of course, like, keep in mind, that's a form of trauma in and of itself because, like, I understand the message because kids don't have nuance, yada, yada, that, like, in order for my dad to love me, I have to be a doctor. And keep in mind, kids need to be loved by their parents because, It's an evolutionary trait. We believe that we will die if our parents don't like us. So it's a matter of life and death to like get the love and approval of your parents. And so to me, that was tied in me being a doctor, right? So we want to play this game. I, of course, wanted it done on me because I just like wanted to be the center of attention all the time, right? So I tell like my best friend, I was like, okay, like have everyone pick doctor for me, right? Because like that's what I wanted to be and that's what I wanted to be because I wanted to be loved by my dad. So I leave the room and everyone in the class decides that like the whatever, the profession, the career they're they're going to have play the game on me with is... um like a trash collector or like a U-Haul worker, not even a U-Haul, what are those things called? Um, Like, not like monster trucks, but what's it called? Like the truck that has the arm, that has the grippy thing that you like, like, like trucks that are at like construction sites that like grab the garbage and move it out. Why can't I think of what the fuck this thing is called? Oh, I don't know. Maybe it's because my entire body is inflamed. Um, okay. I literally cannot think of the word, but I let's just say a trash collector, right? So I come back in the room and I'm anticipating all of these questions to be like sussing out whether I'd be a good doctor or not. So I'm prepared to say like yes to everything because I want everyone to be like, yes, you'd make a good doctor so that I could have some kind of affirmation that I would make a good doctor so that my dad would love me essentially, right? 
So I come back in and they're like, are you good at like lifting heavy things? And I'm like, yes. The answer is no. Like, are you good at working long hours? I'm like, yes. I'm saying yes to all this shit. That's like so not truthful. And everyone's like kind of like snickering and giggling. Okay. This is a form of little t innocuous. No one gives a shit trauma. Is it traumatic in a way that would stand out in your mind? No. Is it traumatic in a way where you show up day one of therapy and you're like, I need to be here because I endured this massive trauma? No. It would never even stick out. Like It would probably take a good amount of therapy for you to even remember that this should happen because it was so not memorable. It doesn't match our definition of therapy or trauma, really. Like it's, it's so innocuous. Like It so doesn't fucking matter. But it was traumatic for me, A, because I thought people were laughing at me. They're snickering, right? B, because like it shattered this whole goal I had of verifying that I could be a doctor so that my dad would love me. Basically, it was traumatic because the messages that I received was like, A, I can't speak in front of people. B, I don't fit in. C, I'm not worthy of the spotlight. D, my dad won't love me, right? Like all of these things are traumatic. So when I go through that first pillar, which is inner child work, one of the memories that I addressed and did like trauma therapy on is that memory. I love this memory because it's like so innocuous and so not a big deal and really illustrates like how dumb some of this stuff can be. Another example of like a memory that I had to do kind of inner child work around was one time I, again, in elementary school, I think this was like maybe the fourth or fifth grade, I was in a school play and I was cast as this like teenage daughter in the play. I really, I don't even remember what the fuck the play was, to be completely honest. But I remember being really excited cast as this teenage daughter because it was like everything I wanted to be. Like she was like very fashionable and like boy crazy and had a boyfriend and like whatever. Like it was like all the things that I was, right? Like I, I was into like aesthetics and I wanted a boyfriend and like whatever it got me to like cosplay this. And I remember leading up to the play, like I had to find the outfit I was going to wear. And like my mom would suggest all these like lame outfits from her youth that I like wasn't into. And then I ended up like borrowing clothes from a friend and it was like a mini skirt and something. And, you know, I knew my mom might not like approve of the outfit, but I didn't care. It's like what I wanted to wear and it's what I thought like a cool, pretty teenage girl would wear, right? The instant the play ended, the instant the play ended, like people were like not even like they're like bringing their hands together to get ready to clap. My mom fucking ran on that stage and pulled me off because she thought my skirt was too short. Now, was it too short? Maybe. I don't know. Like, could she see my underwear? Maybe. I don't know. But it doesn't fucking matter. The way that that embarrassed and humiliated me, A, because like obviously I had done something to upset my mom. But like if she had just like waited until I was off the stage and then expressed disappointment, like I'm sure it would have still been like traumatic and upsetting for me. But it wouldn't have been anywhere close to what I actually experienced because a lot of what I was uh, upset and like traumatized by was the fact that she fucking ran onto the stage like a goddamn psycho. And it was like very obvious to everyone else that she was upset about something, you know, so like the messages that my child brain received as the result of my mom doing that was like, I'm not allowed to live how I want to live. Like I wanted to be that cool teenage girl with a short skirt who's like, you know, whatever, pretty and well-liked and popular. But my mom was like, fuck, no, you're not that bitch. Like I received the message that I'm different. I don't belong. I am not allowed to be who I want to be. 
So again, that memory is something I've done a lot of like trauma therapy work around. Obviously, I started with like the bigger traumas that I experienced, but then as you keep doing it, you get more and more niche and more and more nuanced. Um, Another thing that like was traumatic that you know, you might not initially think of as trauma was like school lunches were always traumatic for me because like I just wanted to fit in with everyone else. But I also had foreign parents who like didn't know how to prepare a lunch that would make me fit in, you know? And like they weren't even like sending, it wasn't like, you know, my big fat Greek wedding where she brings like moussaka to school and everyone's like making fun of her. It wasn't even that dramatic. Like my parents were really trying to like Americanize my lunches. They just like didn't fucking know how. And so every day at lunch, it just like brought up all of this. Like, like I remember I used to bring tuna sandwiches to school when I was living in Germany and that was fine. But then when I moved to the U.S., someone made a comment about how stinky the tuna sandwiches. So then I'm like, okay, like, well, what can I bring? And my parents only eat halal meat. So like I couldn't like go buy like cold cuts from the store and bring like a turkey sandwich. And so like my mom one time like tried like grilling a chicken breast for me. I mean, like what a nice gourmet. It was like a bagel sandwich with like grilled chicken breast, whatever. And like it got soggy during the day. So I like threw it out instead of eating it because I was like so afraid of someone making fun of me because I'd been made fun of for my lunches. And so essentially like that whole school lunch experience implanted the message in my brain that like I'm different. I don't belong. I'm not the same as everyone else. Like I'm not worthy of having things that like feel good to me. Right. So these are all like examples of more minor types of trauma, like things that you don't even think about, things that don't stand out as trauma, but that do affect you. Because when we are kids and we experience things that bring us shame, we internalize that. Like we don't even think that it could have other causes. We internalize it as being our fault. And then it rattles around and it affects how we experience things. So my point is, like, if you're listening and you're like, but I don't have childhood trauma. Yes, you do. Yes, you do have childhood trauma because every little thing that goes wrong in your childhood is traumatic to a child. So if you're listening and you're like, okay, like, how can I shape my life into what I want it to be? A lot of that is going to be by addressing these little innocuous things that may have happened in your youth and being like, okay, like, how can I work through them? And again, if you need tools and resources for working through it, I highly recommend the Blush Academy. You can find a link for that in the show notes. The second pillar that I talked about last week is radical self-honesty. And I wanted to give more examples of this because I think it's kind of like hard to understand. And I have a couple of examples from friends and I have actually an example of myself. This is something I brought up over the weekend on my Instagram stories. So basically, I put a question box in my Instagram stories and and someone asked me, like, what's your biggest pet peeve? And I said, right now, I mean, I have a lot of pet peeves, but right now something that like really irritates me is when people complain about something but don't do anything to change it. I experience this a lot. Like I've, especially because people come to me for advice a lot. And so like I'll have someone complain about something and I'll give them advice and then they won't do any of the things but then still complain to me, right? Like I have this with a friend of mine who, complains about her weight a lot. And I have helped her in every way humanly possible. Like I've helped her with like giving her recipes, um, meal plans, like et cetera, et cetera, supplements, herbs, medications, things that could help her. And she'll like make excuses for not doing any of the things or like not implementing the things or even like make excuses for her weight and be like, well, it's, you know, the insulin resistance from my PCOS. Okay, sure. But like, even if you have insulin resistance, if you were to eat nothing, 
you would sure should lose weight. You know what I mean? So like, yes, it doesn't make it harder to lose weight, of course, but it doesn't make it impossible. And like, I'll give her like herbs and supplements and various suggestions for her hormones and she won't do it, but then she'll still complain about her weight. Okay. Of course, that's annoying, right? That's objectively annoying. But what I was saying on my Instagram stories is like, okay, this is a pet peeve that I have. But why I think it's interesting is that I think it probably points to something deeper within me. Like it probably points to something like that I'm doing that I'm not even consciously aware of right now. Because if it weren't pointing to something deeper within me, I don't think I'd be irritated by it. Like, okay, like is someone complaining to you 24-7 and not doing anything about it objectively annoying? Of course. But I don't think I would give a shit. I think it points to something deeper and that's why I give a shit. And that is an example of radical self-honesty because it would be so easy for me to be like, of course, it's annoying when someone complains all the time, right? It's an objectively annoying thing. It would be so easy for me to like brush past. But instead, when I was like, oh, this is a bad peeve of mine, I was like, wait, why am I irritated by this? Where am I doing this? Where am I complaining about shit but not doing anything about it? Or where have I historically done this? Or does it point at some kind of like deeper inner child thing? Did maybe one of my parents do this a lot? Like, oh, oh my God, it just clicked for me right now. My mom would complain constantly growing up about her marriage and her dynamic, but do nothing about it. So like maybe the reason that I'm triggered by people doing that now is because it brings up this inner child wound of my mom doing it. Whatever it is, it's the fact that I had that radical self-honesty of being like, okay, this irritates me and there's something deeper within me going on instead of just resting on, oh, this is such an annoying thing that people do, right? Um, I have other examples. Like I have a friend who got out of a very, very, very long-term relationship. And before they were even broken up, she basically started dating someone else, right? And any like mere insinuation that anyone could make that she wasn't over her ex or that her and the new guy like weren't soulmates or whatever, she would absolutely lose her shit. Guess what? This bitch is like still not thriving in life, is still stuck in the same loops because she was completely incapable of being honest with herself. Like she was having such extreme reactions to her ex and like doing crazy, crazy shit, like calling his mom all the time. And his mom was like, you need to stop calling me. Like you're not dating my son anymore, you know, but like she, her life continues to be stagnant because she's someone who's completely incapable of being honest with herself. And if she had just like looked internal and seen how she was like bypassing the feelings that she was feeling and like bypassing the pain that she was feeling, then she could have just processed her feelings about her ex and moved through them. But instead, she was like finding ways. I mean, she found someone new to date before she was even broken up with her ex because she couldn't face pain, because she couldn't face the pain of like how unfulfilled she was in her life about how difficult her life actually was and how she like never really allowed herself to feel pain. And by bypassing that pain, she just continues to prolong that pain. Okay. That's kind of a vague example. And I have to be vague because I'm trying to protect this person's identity, but I have a different example, which if this person is listening and you recognize that I'm talking about you, I'm so sorry, (laughs) but it is what it is. It's a really fucking good example. So I have a very close friend who, um, for a while was trying to make it as like a content creator, specifically in the food space. And she would complain to me all the time about people like copying her, like copying her style, copying her ideas, yada, yada on Instagram. Right. And that's a hurtful thing when you're trying to be a content creator, because like if people are copying your content without giving you credit, that's 
Obviously, it's not ideal for a business, right? Like we can all see that. Here's what's interesting about this friend. This friend was constantly copying shit that I would do, constantly copying shit that I would do, but she just couldn't see that she was doing this. Like she was woefully unaware of the fact that she was like to the point where sometimes people would hit me up and be like, I literally thought this post of hers was your post because you posted something that looked identical to that last week, right? But she was completely unaware that she was doing it. Like she couldn't see it at all. And then like it was happening to her. And I would basically be like, hey, if you feel like you're being copied a lot, maybe look at like where other, where you are copying other people. Because if it's showing up a lot in your life, it's probably pointing at something internal. But she just like, she truly just, and I'm so sorry again, if you're listening, I'm not saying that you're not a self-aware person. I'm just saying like, she just didn't have that self-awareness. Oh, so am I saying (laughs) In this particular situation, she didn't have the self-awareness. She wasn't able to look internal. And that's why it kept popping up for her left, right, and center. And basically, this friend of mine just like stopped content creating. She fully gave up on it because like this trigger got so overwhelming that she had to fully abandon her dreams. Whereas I think, and like really, maybe this is my fault, but like maybe I could have been like, hey, this copying wound is actually something that you're doing all the time too. So like look internal, see like what comes up in childhood for you, see how you can work through it. But here's the thing. I think even if I had said it to her directly, I don't think she would have received it. And that's why I never did, because I do think people have to come to conclusions on their own for themselves to be able to see it. I think if I had said to her like, oh, like you're copying me all the time, so it makes sense that you're so triggered by other people copying you, she would have just gotten angry and resentful, just like when I tried to insinuate to the other friend that maybe she wasn't over her ex, she just like fully lashed out at me, right? I think that we experience a lot of cognitive dissonance when our actions go against who we want to be, right? Like with the first friend, she had this vision of herself as like really independent, but she was actually so codependent. She would drop everything for a man. This is a person who on two separate occasions, we stopped being friends because she abandoned all of her friends and everything in her life for a man. And this happened like 15 years apart, right? But she had this vision, this notion of herself as like such an independent person and anything that threatened that notion, she would lash out at. And if she could just like be introspective and look internal and be like, actually, all the evidence points to the fact that I have like severe codependency issues, then she now would be in a much better place because she would do the internal work and get there. But she can't. She, you know, she can't. She didn't. Yada, yada. Okay. We are like past 50 minutes And really all I've done is recap last week and whine about what's going on for me. But I'm not going to get into the other three prongs. I can't believe I'm fucking doing this. But there literally isn't time. Like the third prong is a very long one. It would make the episode be so fucking long. And honestly, because like I'm so unwell... I'm not going to do it. We're going to leave it here. I think I added something by just going over the first two prongs again. Next week, I'm not even going to address that. We're just going to jump right into prongs three, four, and five. So please tune in next week. I'm not going to do a long outro. I literally don't have the energy or the wherewithal. Just like, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for putting up with me. I am just an absolute puffer fish about to fucking explode, but it is what it is. Love you guys. Please rate, review, subscribe, engage. You know the drill. Okay. Love you guys. Talk next week. Bye.